All right, take your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter number one. Last week we began a series called Thanksgiving. And it seems this time of year that we, we kind of get close to this holiday. I like how Walmart, you know, they're usually about six months ahead on their holiday decorations. Have you all seen that? You go into the garden, the home and garden department there at Walmart in August, and they've already got the Christmas stuff up. But uh, it's just a little strange. But we now, this time of year, as the weather begins to change, the leaves begin to fall, we kind of look forward to the holiday we know as Thanksgiving. And it's a time to reflect on, really as a Christian family, what we reflected on uh, was that God had been good to our family. And He has blessed our family beyond all imagination. And so um, growing up, that's kind of what we did. And I mentioned last week how silly sometimes we are as Americans because this season comes, Thanksgiving comes, and we teach our kids to be thankful for what they have. And then the very next season, we tell them to just give us a big list of what else they want. Or give Santa a big list of what else they want. Close one. (laughs) But you see, we, we tell them to be thankful, and then we say, but here's some more stuff. And I just don't know if that's really what God means when He tells us to be thankful. And I don't think that a, a, a Christian can be very happy if they cannot be thankful for what they already have. And so we looked at that last week. But this week we continue our study in Ephesians chapter 1. And let me ask you before we get started, what blessing... Are you the most thankful for in your life? Now we sang this evening the first song, Count Your Many Blessings. Miss Jamie designed the bulletin this week with, There Should Be Showers of Blessings. So we obviously recognize as a Christian we are just, we couldn't begin to count how many blessings we have. But if you were to name one, what would your biggest blessing be? What would you be the most thankful for? What would be the next blessing on that list? Because... If, if we really began to think about it, we probably wouldn't have to go too far when we get out of the, you know, the theological answers and we got into the more practical answers. You know, obviously, uh, Brother Turner mentioned salvation, and I like when we have a uh, let's thank the Lord testimony service and everybody stands up. Usually, the, at least one of the first ones is, I just want to thank the Lord for my salvation. And that's awesome. But how far down the list would you have to go before it became, well, I'm thankful for my family? I'm thankful for my home. I'm thankful for my job. You see, because all those are good things to be thankful for. But this evening, we're not talking about those types of things. In fact, the title of this sermon is the out of sight, out of mind kind of blessings. Verse number one, the Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now usually the Apostle Paul would begin his writings with uh, some type of greeting. And in the first two verses we find that. But in some of the other writings of Paul, it seems to be longer. In fact, he will even address specific people. But in this one it's only two verses and he jumps right into it. It's almost like when his pen touched paper... He wanted to get to the point of what he was trying to say. Now, it was good to say, dearly beloved, and uh, grace be to you, but, but it only took just two verses, and now he's already into his subject. And the first word that comes out of his mouth is this, blessed. 
be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated unto the, according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Father in heaven, we ask tonight that you would help us as we study your word. We open it, Lord, knowing that we cannot get anything out of it if you are not present with us. And that your Holy Spirit is not here with us to help us understand what Scripture means. Lord, be in our hearts, work in our hearts, Lord. And I pray that you would be in this service, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As Christians, we are the richest people in the world. We are so rich, specifically spiritually speaking. We are so rich and blessed beyond all measure... And yet, so many of us live like paupers. You see, Ephesus was a unique place because it was not... Sometimes we think of biblical cities and biblical times and we automatically think everybody's kinds of, kind of peasants. We think that their clothes are worn and tattered. We think that the money's hard to come by and this is... You know, this is kind of the idea we have of biblical cities in biblical times. But the reality is, in Ephesus, it was actually a very uh, 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 high-income place. It was a very beautiful place. They had a lot of grand things in Ephesus. In fact, at the time of this writing, it would have been a harbor city. So Paul, when he visited Ephesus, likely sailed on his ship right up to a harbor where he would get off at the dock and step onto a marble road that went throughout the city. Ephesus was not like a, a, a small city, maybe like we think of Bethlehem and Jesus' meager place of birth. Ephesus was a very, very uh, uh, blessed place financially. The temple of Diana was located in Ephesus. And while we do not recognize the temple for uh, any type of spiritual or theological great place, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In fact, this temple was so beautiful, it had 127 columns 
that were individually hewn out by hand. It was a a wonderful place. In fact, uh, there were some poets of the day said that he, one poet said, I have been to the great pyramids of Egypt. I have seen the greatest sights of the day, but it all pales in comparison to the temple of Diana. It was a wonderful place and uh, not what took place in it because it was a, a pagan place. It was an idolatrous place. It was a place where fornication was con- uh, uh, encouraged. So that's not what we're talking about. But just the building itself was a beautiful, beautiful place. The temple had some of the most wonderful art and decorations of the day. In fact, there was a painting, a famous painting of that day that had Alexander the Great kind of hurling a lightning bolt and it would have been found in this temple. So when we think of Ephesus, do not think of this poor biblical town where everybody's just trying to find crumbs on the ground to eat. Ephesus was not that. And so when Paul writes to them, he does not approach them in in that manner. In fact, what he's saying is, you have all of the carnal blessings you can imagine, but my concern is that you are spiritually poor. That's what he's writing about. Spiritual blessings, not temporary or carnal blessings. If we were to say, what are you thankful for tonight? Most of us would not have very many spiritual things to say before we got on the things like, well, I'm thankful for my car. It gets me to work. And I'm thankful for my job. And I'm thankful for my family. And, I'm, and those are good blessings. But Paul here in verse number 3 says that we should bless our Father because He hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Several years ago, well, just a few years ago now, in 2016, the Powerball reached the highest that it had ever reached. Many of you recall, it was $1.6 billion and it had never been that high before. And it kind of became the talk of the town and everybody knew about it. And uh, You asked me, did I play? Absolutely, I played. I just never bought a ticket. You see, because my odds of winning were only slightly less than the guy that went to Easy Mart and bought a ticket. I could have had one just blow up, you know, the wind maybe, just bring it up. Oh, look, I I played. Uh, I would have gladly played, but I never got the opportunity. But three lucky winners did get the opportunity. I'll never forget one night, me and Amy were just kind of at the house, and we didn't have much going on. That was before several of the children Uh, But uh, we we were just sitting there and I said, Babe, if you won $1.6 billion, what would you do with it? And that's what I love about my wife. I mean, she's just, she's naive in the best way, I guess I could say. She said, well, at first I would probably just, I would pay off my parents' house. I was like, well, babe, they've been living in that house for 30 years. They probably don't have that much left to pay on, I would guess. And so... I said, what else would you buy? Well, I would, I would, you know, take care of all of our debt. And I'm like, well, that sounds good to me. But really, when you compare it to $1.6 billion, we don't really have a significant amount of debt. So, I mean, sure, that sounds good. What else would you do? Well, I... I would probably buy my parents a home down here. Okay, that's great. Maybe, maybe let's just say a nice home with a little land. We'll say $250,000. So far, after your first three answers, you've spent about 
10% of that money. So we keep going, what did you want? What did you want? And it took maybe five or six things. And she said, I don't know what else I would do with it. You see, that's kind of an example of how much wealth we have, spiritually speaking. We don't even know how to spend it all. And for some of us, we don't even really know how to access it all. So how can we have this... Uh, How do we understand what our spiritual blessings are? How can we become thankful for what we don't even understand? Well, number one, I would say that we have salvation. I think that we ought to be so incredibly thankful for the great gift of God that He gave to us. We were so undeserving, and yet He loved us anyway. We were so wicked and filthy, and yet a holy God loved us and gave Himself for us. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Have you ever had trouble describing the beauty of something? I told you recently I've gone to, I went to the Grand Canyon and I can't find the vocabulary to explain how beautiful and how big the Grand Canyon is. And, and, and it's like Paul didn't even try. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. It's just no vocabulary could do it. Our salvation is such a wonderful thing. We ought to be thankful for it. We ought to be thankful that God has given to us every tool needed for the process of sanctification. You see, God has placed us, the term sanctify means set apart, and He's set us apart and made us different and made us special, and He's given us uh, every tool we need to come out from the world and be different and be special and be peculiar. Some of you aren't having much trouble with that one, though. You see, God's given us the liberty that He has called us into that we don't have to be under the bondage of the law, but we can also say no to sin. God has given us an ample supply of daily grace. And the Bible says every morning that we wake up, there's Folgers, no, not, there's no Folgers in your cup. His mercies are new every morning. Amen. And that's the God that we serve. And He's given us every, everything we need for the process of sanctification. For salvation and thirdly, uh, we don't often think of this when it comes testimony service time, but we will one day be glorified. It's so hard for us to look forward to it because we don't understand it, but Paul didn't understand everything there was about it. He says, brethren, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. That's what he said. And he was speaking about the day that we're glorified and this old incorruptible puts on immortal, or this corruptible puts on incorruptible and this mortality puts on immortality. And, and Paul was referring to the day when Jesus makes good on his promise that he would come and receive us unto himself again. Our world's broken, but the place that we're going to is not broken. Jesus says, uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. But I come, uh, I, I come again and will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You see, we ought to be thankful for our salvation. We ought to be thankful that God has given us the ability to be sanctified on a daily basis. And we ought to be thankful that one day God's going to fix everything that is wrong in this world by glorification. 
Aren't you thankful there's going to be no tears in heaven? The Bible says, for God shall wipe every tear from our eyes. Aren't you thankful there's never going to be a doctor have to look at you and say, I'm sorry, you have cancer. Aren't you thankful for that? We ought to be. And those are the spiritual blessings we forget about, though. In our rush to thank God for the temporary blessings that we have, we forget of the eternal ones that can never be taken from us. So this evening what I want to do is I want to teach you three lessons about our spiritual blessings in Christ. Number one, we'll notice the giver of all spiritual blessings. Now, at first, it seems a quite obvious answer, who is the giver of all spiritual blessings. But I want you to understand, God is not the only one who can give things. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, in the temptation of Jesus, the devil takes Jesus up in a moment on the top of the highest mountain, and he says, Jesus, I want to show you all these kingdoms. And the devil tells Jesus that all of these have been given to him and he can give it to whomsoever he chooses. And if Jesus would simply bow down and worship him, he would give him all. And obviously Jesus says, thou shalt worship no other gods before God, the one true God. And so we see that and that's a good lesson. But don't you ever forget that Satan can give you things... Let me ask you, if Jesus taught that it is harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle, what do you think one of his best methods of keeping people out of heaven might be? Per capita, America is the wealthiest civilization that I know of. We make other countries... Uh, even their highest earning wage, uh, wage earners, we make them look like they make no money, even with our minimum wage, job, wage jobs. I heard the other day, California, it's $15 an hour is minimum wage. $15 an hour. And you say, well, that's just God's blessings. Is it? Because the Bible says every good and perfect gift cometh from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness. Every good and perfect gift. So if you want to think that what the Bible terms as filthy lucre, as mammon, which is in direct opposition to God, in many cases, remember, you cannot serve mammon and God. So if you want to think that God is the only one that can give money and give material blessings, you go right ahead thinking that. But I just believe the devil has sidetracked many Christians with those types of things. So when we study the giver of our spiritual blessings, may we not think there is not a giver of other types of blessings. But spiritual blessings belong only to God. They belong only to God. And so we'll study the first sub-point under the giver of all spiritual blessings is, number one, this is very, very difficult to remember, God the Father. God the Father is the giver of all spiritual blessings. In fact, that's what verse number 3 says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. You see, God the Father gives us our spiritual blessings. Let me ask you a question. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? Did you know that when Satan decided, when, when Lucifer decided to rebel against God and try to overthrow him, 
Did you know that didn't catch God off guard? There is no element of surprise with God. Did you know that the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden did not catch God off guard? Did you know that the crucifixion of Jesus, however cruel it may have seemed, was not surprising to our Lord? In fact, the Bible tells us that the whole time God's plan was that Jesus would be the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Jesus' role in our salvation was secure before he ever became the creator of our world. He would die for the sins of the world. Nothing surprises God. And so in your life, you can look at it like this. God has planned out in eternity past the method by which he would secure your every spiritual need. He's already planned it out. In fact, he's already secured every spiritual blessing that you will ever need. He's already accomplished it. He's, he is the planner of our spiritual blessings. He planned it all out. But I want you to see, secondly, that God the Son had a role in it because He is the purchaser of our spiritual blessings. God the Son, in verse number 7, the Bible says, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace." You see, God planned out in eternity past that the Son would have to come to earth and die, and the Son humbled Himself and became obedient even to death, even the death of the cross, he was the purchaser of every spiritual blessing we could ever need. He gave us redemption. Redemption is liberation procured by the payment of ransom. It is unbelievable to me that the spotless, sinless Lamb of God would die for fallen, sinful man. And yet that was the price that God's righteous standards required. Was that holy God would die for sinful man. That was the ransom that he paid, the purchaser of our spiritual blessings, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So he gave us redemption, and secondly, he gave us reconciliation. Now don't get scared off by these big Bible terms, but reconciliation is just two parties getting back together. You see, God never left. God never moved. God never changes. And when we fell, when Adam fell in the garden, and when we sin all the time, when we do these things, we, we abandon the relationship that God has for us. And Christ, by dying on the cross, reconciled us with God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. And so you have the planner of our, our spiritual blessings. That was God the Father. You have the purchaser of our spiritual blessings, and that is God the Son. And then thirdly, I want you to notice the Spirit of God is the provider of our spiritual blessings. And that may seem odd at first, but what you'll notice is that God has given us every spiritual blessing through the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says in verse 13, "...in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation." 
In whom also that after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now verse number 14 is such a beautiful verse. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. And I don't mean to sound, I don't want this to come across wrong, but the medium through which God provides every spiritual blessing to the Christian life is through the Holy Spirit of God. And the reason so many Christians lived as if they're bankrupt spiritually is because they know nothing of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. They know nothing about how to walk with Him and be sensitive to His uh, 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 movements in their life. They know nothing of these things. I want to draw your attention to a word in verse number 14. The Bible says, which is the earnest of our inheritance. I'll never forget sitting in Bible Doctrines 3 at West Coast Baptist College and hearing this word, to my recollection for the very first time, earnest. Now, mind you, this was before I had bought a house. This was before I had purchased a car. This was before any of that, and I was just sitting in Bible doctrines class listening to this word, earnest. And the only thing I could think of was the guy who used to make silly movies, you know, earnest. That's the only guy that I could think of, and I never quite understood what it was speaking of, but but I want you to read verse 14 with me, and, and you've got to understand what the Bible is saying. It says, the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, or can I say it not as well, but can I say it like this? The down payment of our inheritance. The down payment which secures our inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. You see, one day we will get to the place where God glorifies and fixes everything that's broken in our world. One day we'll get there. One day, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, Democrat, I can't even say it, it's like a cuss word. But whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, it doesn't matter. There will be no votes cast when Christ comes to reign on this earth. Nobody can question His judgments, for His judgments are righteous altogether. He is never wrong. He sits on a throne of righteousness. And I'm thankful for that day. But until that day, the closest we can get to heaven is sensing what God is doing in our life. Because one day He will redeem all of us. And one day... The, the inheritance that Christ has secured for us through the death on the cross. One day, all of that will come to pass. But until then, each of us at the moment of salvation were injected with the Holy Spirit of God. And He indwells in us and He lives in us and He abides in us. And it's that earnest, it's the earnest of our inheritance. If you've bought a house, you know what it is to put down earnest money. It's, it's making sure that they know your intention is right. And you, 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 it's a promissory note essentially to say, I will purchase this possession. Christ just said it this way. God the Father just said it this way. I will abide with you until the day when I redeem you. The Holy Spirit of God secures for us all of these spiritual blessings. The fact that the Holy Spirit of God seals us unto the day of redemption is a blessing for me as a Christian. You see, when somebody seals something, it's official. 
When somebody seals something, it means that it's their possession or their work, their stamp of approval is on it. When somebody seals something, especially when God seals something, His seals are not easily broken. It's His work. And it's through the Holy Spirit of God which He has uh, uh, given us these spiritual blessings. Now, I know we've talked a little bit about God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and they all work in perfect harmony to secure, to plan, and to provide all spiritual blessings. Now, what does that mean for you on a real-world basis? You see, we've talked in the big vocabulary of theology. What does it mean for you? It means this, that all parts of the Holy Trinity are working at every moment to secure every spiritual blessing for you. God the Father who tends to the fields and and feeds the birds of the air, His whole uh, existence has now been dedicated to planning, providing, and putting in you spiritual blessings. You say, why would he do that? Well, we'll get to that. Don't jump ahead in my lesson. Don't get there. But you see, God is so good that he is working on our behalf. Let me ask you, do you deserve that? I don't deserve that. And yet that is what happens. God is working on my behalf. And I like this verse. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. If God be for us, who can be against us? And and it's not like God has given us His divided attention. He has focused on the redemptive plan, the the work of Christ on uh, on the cross. That's what His focus was, and that's what His daily concern is, is with blessing us with all sorts of spiritual blessings. And yet when somebody asks us what we're thankful for, we say, our home. You know, Christ came to this earth, he didn't have a home. In fact, the Bible says the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Christ came to this earth, he didn't didn't have the fancy things, and yet he was equipped by the Father with all spiritual blessings. So we see the giver of all spiritual blessings. Number two, number two, this is going to be an odd point, I know, but I want you to see this, the geography of all spiritual blessings. So if I didn't lose you on the first point, where we're talking about all those big words like reconciled and all this, we're talking about those big words. If I didn't lose you on that point, I'm trying real hard to lose you at the geography of all spiritual blessings because nobody likes geography. But I want you to see, I'm not making this up and it's important that we notice this in verse number three. Ephesians chapter one, verse three says... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. I want you to read to the conclusion of the verse with me. Ready? Go. In heavenly places in Christ. Now, in heavenly places is not where we currently are. I don't know. I mean, this is a beautiful building, but it's not quite heavenly. Somebody has said that this could be read in the heavenlies and I don't really understand the heavenly places, so getting to that place is even difficult for me. In the heavenlies, I don't understand all of that. But I can put it to you like this. One time I went to Guatemala. 
And uh, I, I walked off that plane. It was the first time I'd ever traveled internationally by myself. I walked off that plane to a bunch of signage that I did not understand. Dad is one of those dads that's like, son, do you have cash on you? I mean, if I, if I go to Burleson, he asked me, son, do you have cash on you? And, and normally I don't, but he had made sure I had cash on me to go to Guatemala. And, and I did. He, he had helped me and I had a substantial amount of cash just to make sure nothing happened. But as soon as I walked out of the plane, the first thing I came to was an exchange booth where you can take American dollars and you can exchange them for what is the currency of Guatemala. And so I thought I should probably do that. But I didn't. And so I went and I, I left. I got out of the airport and there was Brother Lanny Ashcraft standing there. He welcomed me. And, and throughout the whole week, I had all of this American dollars on me, and yet it was good for nothing. Now, I had plenty of money, but it just didn't work down there. So the question that we might need to ask tonight is, how can blessings that are in heavenly places apply in an earthly world? That's the question. Let me put it to you like this. It is not that heavenly blessings cannot be used in worldly places. It is just that worldly people cannot realize the value of heavenly blessings. We don't understand it because we often think in terms of the world. I like the verse, my God has supplied all your needs according to his riches and glory. Do you think that God just sits on a, a throne and at the foot of that throne is a bunch of Benjamins? Maybe his riches and glory don't have so much to do with money. And maybe other things according to his riches and glory. Maybe that has to do with spiritual blessings. Now I believe the verse is talking about indirect proportion to his, spirit, uh, 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 to his riches and glory. But maybe God's answer for us is not to drown everything in money. Maybe God has a bigger plan for us. So we'll notice the geography of all spiritual blessings. Number one, we'll see our standing. Our standing. The Bible tells us that we are standing or we are with Christ in heavenly places. We have been placed in Christ in heavenly places. Now this is important because in Adam all die. But in Christ, all shall be made alive. It's important because uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So when the Bible tells us that we have been placed in Christ, it matters a great deal because when God views us, He does not view us as the struggling sinner that many of us are, but He views us as sanctified, persevering saints in the person of Jesus Christ. God imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. And that's a fancy way of saying, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Our standing before the Father tonight is not a bunch of uh, a people struggling in a, in a really fallen world. Our standing before the throne of God tonight is in Christ Jesus. And when He beholds us, He sees us in the 
robes of righteousness that only Jesus could have obtained are standing in heaven. Now that's a heavenly blessing. And in the heavenlies tonight, we stand before the Father in Christ. But I want you to see not only our standing, I want you to notice our sitting. Verse number 19 of this chapter says it like this. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. So Christ Jesus is currently seated at the right hand of the Father. Now this is important for us to note because Ephesians chapter 2 puts it like this. But God who is rich in mercy... For His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, had quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Now notice this. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now I realize tonight that this is very lofty doctrine. I understand that it's hard for me to understand. It's hard for me to explain. And I would just guess because of that, it's hard for you to understand. Uh, Not because uh, any reason other than I'm not able to communicate it effectively. But very simply tonight, we are not only before the Father tonight, uh, we are not only seen before the Father in the righteousness of Christ, but we are seated with Him in the throne of God. Now, you say, how does that apply? Well, let me explain it to you inadequately, I'm sure. The reason it is important to take note that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the Bible explains to us in the book of Hebrews that the priests would go into the temple daily and there's all sorts of furniture in the temple. There was the table of showbread, there was the Ark of the Covenant, there was all sorts of stuff in uh, the temple, but there was one thing that was missing and it was a seat. Because the job of the priest was never done. There was never a time when he could rest, for he always had to be busy sacrificing to pardon the sins. But Hebrews tells us that our great high priest, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Now, how does that, what does that matter? The reason Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father tonight is because His work is done. When He cried, it is finished on the cross, every battle you must face, every hill you must climb was climbed and won by Christ. It was His work on Calvary that earned our salvation. It was His death on the cross that pardoned our sins. And it was Him pleasing the Father that now says... You don't have to do it anymore. He's done it all. A very simple book we used to give out, very small. It was entitled Done. And the idea behind the book was every other religion in the world's philosophy is do, 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 do. But Christianity is different in that it is done. Christ is seated on the right hand of the Father because every battle He had to fight, every mountain He had to climb was climbed and accomplished and won, and He's done. And we're seated right next to Him. 
We're seated in the throne of God with Christ. We're in the heavenly places, man. The geography of our blessings are they come directly from the throne of God. Not because we deserve it, but because Christ has earned it. The giver of our blessings. The geography of our spiritual blessings. Number three, and we're done. The goal of all spiritual blessings. I don't want you to miss this because I said earlier, I would get to the reason why God has done all of this for us. And believe it or not, it is not for your benefit. Now, we do benefit from it greatly, but it's not for you. I want you to notice in three separate verses in our passage, in verse number 6, verse number 12, and verse number 14, I want you to notice a very similar phrase. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Verse number 12, I want you to see. That we should be to the praise of His glory. Verse number 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Unto the praise of His glory. You see, preacher touched on it this morning. He was exactly right. Creation speaks of God's wisdom and power. It's the fact that God could create a world that works as well as this one does. The fact that God could create a world that the sun comes up and the moon goes down and then the moon controls the tides and the sun helps the plants grow. And I mean, our world is just created by the wisdom of God. And and more than the wisdom of God, we see that God's divine power is in creation. You go stand uh, in the middle of a thunderstorm and see if you don't feel a little power. Brother Sean said tonight, it looks like, Brother Andrew, we might have a little thunder when you preach. And I said, Brother Sean, it's about time there's a little power injected into my preaching. You see, you, you, you just look at creation and you do see the wisdom and power of God. And that's why the psalmist said, the heavens declare the handiwork of God. We, we even see His eternal power and Godhead in creation. But creation could not tell us about the Creator. I did some research on some famous inventors. A guy like Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin, changed the way that cotton was harvested. Uh, He was a proponent of interchangeable parts. That was kind of revolutionary for the day that you could take a part out of one uh, uh, working piece of uh, equipment, put it in another, and they would work uh, succinctly. They would work together, and it was uh, interchangeable parts. I looked at a guy like Alexander Graham Bell, and I'm quite sure the only reason I thought of him is because of the Geico commercial, which is hilarious, by the way. But, uh, hoy, hoy, Alexander Graham Bell. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it, but, but... Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone. I mean, that's wonderful. I'm thankful for the telephone. He should have gone a step farther and just made texting all the way back then. That would have made my middle school years of rejection from girls much easier. But either way, uh, uh, you know, those are great inventions. And, And when we look at those men and we say, wow, they must have been really smart. We know nothing of what kind of person they were. We don't know if they were kind. We don't know if they were angry and mean. We just don't know. So creation tells us of the power and wisdom of God. But God uses His children to display His love and mercy. 
You see, He pours out His love and mercy on us. And we are the billboards that others read. Say, Brother Andrew, I I don't know about all of that. Well, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1, verse 9, "...who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace." which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. The Bible says that men would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God lavishly pours out His love, mercy, and grace on us so that others can take note of it. You see, these spiritual blessings were not earned by us. They definitely were not deserved by us. But really, they're not for us. God gives them to us so that we can echo His praises. That's why it only took three verses for Paul to get into. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be Him who has blessed us with all all manner of spiritual blessings. Praise be to our God who hath been so good to us. Praise be to God. It's like the ink flowed directly out of a heart of gratitude towards God. Let me ask you, God has blessed us with so many spiritual blessings. How are you converting those spiritual blessings so that God may get what He's wanting out of it? You see, it's a great thing that God saved you. You you got a home in heaven because of that. It's a great thing that God is sanctifying you. You don't have to live under the bondage of sin anymore. God is your master. No longer are you subject to sin's terrible dominion. That's uh, We were reading this morning in the youth department. Let, therefore, n- let not sin reign therefore in your members. Sin is a terrible reigner. It destroys, it kills, it maims, it weakens. God is a great loving master and and Lord. And, and, And what are you doing so that you make sure you're not just experiencing these spiritual blessings, but that God is getting out of it what He wants? It's not about you. God saved you so that you might be to the praise of His glory. God is sanctifying you so that you might be an example of the praise of His glory. God is, is one day will glorify you so that everyone can see that a righteous God with holy standards loved you enough to give you all manner of spiritual blessings. What are you doing with it? Are we even thankful for these things? When next text, testimony service, next time we sit down with our kids to eat and we say, well, kids, what are you thankful for? When they say we're thankful for the television What is your response going to be? Because that's how we train our children now. My daughters, I just got to be honest with you, confession is good for the soul. They cry when they don't get a phone or an iPad. Now, I'm sick of it. That's what we teach our children. To value the temporal, fooey with the eternal. Focus on what really matters, kids, your paycheck. 
Focus on what really matters, kids. Stuff that will vanish away. Wood, hay, and stubble. That's what we teach our kids to focus on. Those are not spiritual blessings. Those can be given from the devil himself. What are you doing with God's spiritual blessings in your life?